We've been traveling through the book of Acts, not like we've done before where we've gone verse by verse through every story. We've been going through the sermons in the book of Acts. We find ourselves in Acts 24. We find ourselves at the part of the book where all the sermons from here on out are pretty much going to be sermons uh, preached in court. Sermons preached in front of people that want you dead or, or in prison. Sermons to people that don't have any reason to believe what you're saying. You know, Paul, Paul had no real, um, no real ace up his sleeve to offer the, the people that sat in judgment over him except for the purity and the, and the glory of the gospel. There was no, if you come, you'll win a free iPad. It was, it was, I have good news for you. And it's an amazing thing to be standing on trial and talking good news. That's why it's so important, uh, that, and we've had lots of practice these past two years, that you never let your message, I mean, we, we're called to, yes, we're called to address unrighteousness, we're called to speak against injustice, but our prime message has always got to be the good news of the gospel. And good news doesn't change because there's a lot of bad news around. In fact, good news gets even better. That's why people need good news. And so Paul didn't stop preaching good news just because he was in shackles or, or uh, somebody had, had come and spread false testimony about him. He, he preached good news because that's what he did. That's who he was. In Acts chapter 24, just to refresh you, Paul got arrested on some pretty phony charges. Somebody saw him in the city of Jerusalem with a Greek, just walking around the city, one of his friends, Trophimus. And then somebody saw him with some other guys in the temple, and they assumed that Paul had brought the Greek with him. And in their law, bringing a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple was, was blasphemy, it was treason. Paul didn't do that. In fact, he was at the temple to pay for some guys that were going through a, a Nazarene vow. He was doing a very holy thing. He went through a purification ritual. Um, but he got falsely accused. And then once they got him arrested, they, they piled a bunch of other charges on him, mainly that he was causing trouble. You know, by preaching the gospel, he was causing trouble. In fact, they accuse him of starting riots in every city. But if you read the story, Paul's not starting riots in every city. There is a group of people following him to every city, causing riots. He's just preaching. They follow him from city to city and say, do you know who this guy is? And they stir up riots. It's funny that the same people that are accusing him of starting a riot are the people that started the riot. But nobody said life is fair. Sure, the Bible doesn't say life is fair. It says God is just. But life itself is going to throw you a bunch of stuff you don't deserve. And you need to know how to take it as a believer and trust in God that God will make all things right, that he's the ultimate judge that makes all things right. Paul did this, and so he stands before Felix. Now, I brought up Felix before. We haven't read about him in the book of Acts, but I told you about him because remember I told you that there was a strong national Jewish uh, fervor right now because there, there, there was a lot of rebellions. This is the mid-50s, and so we're talking about 50 AD, 55, 56 AD. There's, right? I don't want to assume anything, right? So there's a strong sense of the Gentiles are trouble, the Romans are bad, nationalism is good. Uh, and, and so Paul being a, a, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles has already put him on bad terms with a lot of the Jewish people. So the reason 
that there's a lot of turmoil between these groups has a lot to do with the guy that we're about to talk to here, whose name is Felix. And Felix is the governor of Judea. So Judea is, is a Roman province of what we would, we would call Israel, we would call the, the nation of the Jews, and yet they're being ruled by the Romans. They're an occupied territory. And so the Romans have named this province Judea. And they put one of their guys in charge of it. Now, you know that they let the Jews have their own little mini-kings like Herod, but they have a governor that, that represents Rome over the whole thing. The governor, in this case, is named Felix, and Felix has put down a bunch of Jewish rebellions, and he's put them down brutally. So he's at the point now where he doesn't really want to have more fights. He wants to kind of have some peace. The, the Romans, whether, whether it's true or not, they prided themselves in, in Pax Romana, this Roman peace, this idea that we're good for the world. See, everybody that starts an empire thinks their empire is good for the world. Right? Aren't you glad we liberated you from whatever you were doing? Right? And that's what the Romans thought. We made your kids slaves, but we built forts and, and buildings and stuff. And so now you have peace. Aren't you glad we brought peace to Britain? Aren't you glad we brought peace to Gaul? Aren't you glad we brought peace to Syria? So as they dominate these places, they really treasure the peace. And they will kill a lot of people to get peace. Right? We love peace so much, we will brutally murder you until we get it. That's how much we love peace. We're very peaceful people. We're so peaceful that we're very violent about peace. This is the way they are. Felix was one of the worst. This is the guy that Paul gets to stand in front of. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 24. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight. Now this is what, uh, there's a word for this in Latin, I'm not going to try to say it, but uh, there's a phrase, uh, it's, it's a way they would do, they would always open with nice compliments for the king or compliments for the governor. So this is the guy that, the, this is one of the, the governors that the Jews hate the most. But watch how they talk about him. They go, since we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, really smart guy, Felix, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. Now, these are the same reforms that they were willing to, you know, go revolt about, but, you know, let's, let's get them on our side. We love the reforms you're making, buddy. We, we, we've loved it. Much peace. Peace, peace all over the place. Lost my cousin in the war. My grandpa's dead, but thank you for the peace. In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I know you're a busy guy. I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague. One who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now what's interesting about this is that amongst the Jewish people, the Nazarite vow, the, Nazar the Nazarite vow was something that was honored. But this Nazarene thing is what they're calling those that followed Jesus of Nazareth. So that now they're calling it the sect of the Nazarenes because they really want Felix to think this is just a local issue. This is a, a, a sect that's been rebelling because those kind of rebellions sprung up all over the place. They want to paint Paul like they painted Jesus as trouble for Rome. So they say he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. 
He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And by examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything which we accuse him. So you're smart. You'll figure it out. Once you talk to him, you'll know he's, he's trouble. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied. Now Paul knows that he's going to do the same thing the, the uh, lawyer did which is open with kind words. He's just not going to be flattering about it. He's, he's, he's going to be kind. He's going to be gracious. He's not going to make up stuff, though. So watch. He does the same thing. He says, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you've been the judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Happy to talk. You can verify that it's not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. So in other words, 12 days is not a lot of time to start a revolution. It's not what I came there to do. He says in verse 13, Neither can they prove against me, or sorry, it's been 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem, worship at Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me, but, but this I confess to you. This is what I'm willing to fess up to, according to the way. Now, the way is what they called following Jesus. They, weren't, they were called Christians first in Antioch. But a lot, amongst a lot of the believers, especially in Jerusalem, they simply called it the way, right? And when you talk about the way, you're not just talking about, think about what it meant to a believer to say we're part of the way because they would have, wouldn't have thought of that just as like an organization or a nonprofit because they followed Jesus who said, I am the way. What they're saying is we follow Jesus. We're not a sect. We're not a rebel group. We're not a political party. We follow Jesus. And so uh, you can't just look at, at, our, at, at this or that and say, I think I figured you out because we are not following a set uh, structure. We're not following just a, merely a set of laws. We are following a person. That's Jesus Christ. We follow the way. We follow his commands. We live according to his way. As one of my friends, uh, my, one of my Navajo friends uh, so boldly proclaimed to all his buddies on Facebook one day, he said, I will follow the Jesus way. And to his buddies, they knew what that meant. He knew what that meant. It's going to cost him something. But I will follow the Jesus way. That's what they said. We've, we, of this way, which they call a sect, but it's not. I worship the God of our fathers. So I'm not starting something new. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. I'm not trying to throw out Judaism, he's saying. I'm not trying to throw out the Bible. I believe all that. But I follow the way. I follow Jesus the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He says, having a hope in God, which they themselves, these men themselves, accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. What does he mean? This is not the end of life. Everybody needs to know this. This is not the end. When you die, when your body stops working, when your heart stops beating, your lungs, start, lungs start, stop breathing, that's not the end. There's a resurrection. There's something after this. And if there's something after this, that's probably pretty important that we think about it now. Because if there's something after, it's more than just disembodied ghosts floating around haunting people. But what's going to happen? The Bible says this. It is appointed to man, in other words, humans, once to die and then the judgment. 
Every human being will stand before the living God and give an account for their life. Paul says, That's, that drives me. I preach the resurrection. What do I preach? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I preach the resurrection of the just and the unjust. In other words, I'm preaching that everybody is going to have to face God. You think about it. Everything, God has set a law in creation that everything returns to where it came from. The book of Genesis tells us that when God made mankind, he formed them out of the dust of the ground and breathed his spirit into them. So when you die, your body will return to the dust of the ground. But your spirit will return to the God that breathed it into you. And you are a spirit. You're not a body. You are a spirit. You have a body. Everything returns to where it came from. Our bodies to the ground, our spirit to God. Whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus today, whether you are saved or unsaved, every single one of us will return to God and face that final judgment. Thank God God loved the world so much that he didn't want you to face that judgment based on your own work, which fell short. He said, what you can't do, I will do. What you couldn't accomplish, I will accomplish for you. Jesus led the only righteous life the world's ever seen, and when he lived that righteous life, he did not die for, as a righteous man. He died the death of sinners so that we could become righteous. He, he died the death of our sin so that we could die the death of a righteous. And we could go face God and say, I, I have done nothing to earn life, but I put my hope completely in Jesus Christ. So here, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. I, I hope you're paying attention to how many times Paul talks about conscience. It's not something we talk about a lot in church, keeping a clear conscience. What does that mean? It means I, 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 I do what I say. I, I, I live out what I believe. I, I, when I know something's wrong, I don't do it. When I know something's right, I do that. Uh, in other words, he's saying I am living my life to reflect what's, what God has done for me. I'm living my life to reflect God. I, I'm, uh, there's been a change in me, and when he changed me, he gave me a new conscience. He cleaned my conscience up. So now I know his righteousness. Now I have a consciousness of God which says, I know, now I know what righteousness looks like. I live that way. So Paul is saying, I know how much it, I know how much it matters that I don't just preach this with words, but that I live it with my life. Now after several years, I came to bring alms, in other words, an offering to my nation and to present offerings. I came to bring charity and offerings. And he says, while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple. Because he had he'd un undergone a purification ceremony. Without any crowd or tumult. I wasn't causing trouble. I wasn't splashing people. I just did it. But some Jews from Asia, now remember these are not Japanese, Chinese, we're not talking about that kind of Asia. We're talking about the Roman province of Asia, which is now Turkey, right? So that area. Those guys, he said, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation. They're no-shows. Should they have anything against me? Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. But Felix... 
having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I'll decide your case. Lysias is the guy that arrested Paul. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his knees. At this point, Felix is realizing this guy didn't do anything wrong. This is a pattern you see in the New Testament. Pilate realized it about Jesus. Herod realized it. Lysias realized it. Felix realized it. Festus will realize it. Everybody's going to realize it at some point. These, these guys didn't do anything wrong. But here's the problem. These guys don't like me. Felix knows these people are always on the knife's edge of, of a new rebellion. I can't make them mad. So instead of setting Paul free, he kind of just puts him off. He says, make sure he's okay, make sure he's comfortable, make sure his friends can come visit him. And it says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish. That name is on the table, guys. If there's anybody got a baby coming, Drusilla is still on the table. <laughs> I don't know if you know. Just saying, put it on the list at least. Don't meet a lot of Drusillas this day. He came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about Drusilla real quick. Drusilla, do you guys remember Acts chapter 12 when Herod Agrippa killed James, had him beheaded, and then said, that went over so well, I'm going to do the same thing to Peter? And he arrested Peter, except this time the, the church got together and had a prayer meeting, and, and an angel came and let Peter out of prison. And then in the next chapter, we find out Herod Agrippa goes to another town, and they start saying, you're a god. And he goes, I probably am. And he falls down dead that day. This is his daughter. So this will go well. Drusilla is his daughter. Drusilla, when she was 14 years old, was given in marriage to a Syrian commander. She didn't really want to do that. She didn't like that. It wasn't good. Felix comes along, sees that she's super pretty. Now, this is creeping you out. I know, it's creeping me out too. These people were creepy. Let me tell you, the Romans were creepy at this time. Felix comes along and goes, that, she's, she's pretty fine. When she's 16 years old, he steals her from the, her Syrian husband and says, you're my wife now. You'd think that she's probably got so much trauma in her life from who her dad was, and, and her dad had some issues as well. He was in prison in Rome for a while until he became king. I mean, there was stuff going on. And so you can imagine she's got a lot going on in her life where she might really be hardened towards anything, but instead she's the one that says, I want to hear more about this. See, there's something about what Paul has to say that is speaking to her heart, and she's, she's saying, this is, this is something I need to hear about. So she's convincing her husband as much as this gruff Roman governor who, who doesn't care about anything but his own pride and greed and, and, and job status She's convincing him, we need to listen to what this man has to say. So, like a husband who gets dragged to church by his wife, or a wife that gets dragged to church by her husband, Felix comes along and keeps listening to Paul, so much so that it's starting to affect him. As he reasoned about, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. And said, go away for the present, and when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Goes on in verse 26. I say that to kill time while I find it in my Bible. 
I picked the smallest print I could find today, just to prove I'm still young. At the same time, I'm in my 30s for like another two weeks. At the same time, he hoped that the money would be given to him by Paul. So Felix is now hoping for a bribe. Then it says this, he's hoping the money be sent to him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. The reason he wants to do the Jews a favor is because he's on their bad side. He wants them on their good side. So he's got two motivating factors here, and none of them have to do with, with what God's doing. He's greedy, so a bribe would be nice. But Paul, even though, guys, I want to I tell you something. Paul had enough friends. He could have got a bribe together. At this point in his ministry. Now, later in his ministry, he's a little bit more lonely. At this point, he's got enough buddies, can raise an offering. He could have given a bribe. But what did he say? I have made pains to keep a good conscience. The other thing is this. He doesn't want to be released. This is why Paul is so crazy. He actually wants to be uh, on trial because he's going to keep appealing. They're going to keep saying, you really don't need to be here. I, I appeal to Caesar. Because he is determined to preach to the emperor. And he's figured out that God's method to get me before the emperor is not me having a hit talk show or me finally becoming such a big celebrity that they put me on. The way for me to get before the emperor is to be in chains and stand before him as a prisoner, but he's going to have to listen to what I have to say. That's a man who is sold out for the gospel. That's, that's not what every single person in this room is going to have to do. You know, some of you, God is just going to do it in a totally different way. So I don't want you to say, I guess that's the only way that God's ever going to use me is by just like totally crushing my dreams. No, I mean, you have to understand that everybody's life is, is the Lord's. And we can look through our Bible and see times where God elevated in different ways and different things. You just got to say, Lord, whatever you want, I want. Whatever you want, I want. And, and, and so Paul, for his, his part, and and uh, he seems to think it's fair because he persecuted the Christians. So anything that happens, he goes, yeah, I'm just happy to preach. He's standing as a prisoner, and he doesn't really want to be released. Felix doesn't want to release him because he hasn't got a bribe, and he doesn't want to make the Jewish people mad. But his wife is intrigued. And I want you to go back to this verse where it says that, that, that Felix was listening to Paul. He was, he was regularly meeting with him. And then it says, Paul began to talk about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. That seems like a funny, three funny topics to, to try to get someone born again. How many of you have made self-control your number one thing that you talk about? We talked to you about self-control. Why is that coming up? I want you to notice what happens when Paul begins to talk about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Felix gets alarmed. He gets alarmed. Some translations says he becomes afraid. Some translations say it's, it implies that he, he actually trembles. Here's a man who has all the power. Guys, Paul is in chains. Felix says a word and the man's dead. He says another word, and this man could be dragged off uh, in chains to a, to a house and never seen from again. He could put him in the darkest dungeon he's got. What's he afraid of? 
Why is Felix trembling? Why is he alarmed? Because something has woken up this man's conscience. Something has woken up his spirit. Something is speaking to him that he knows this guy's speaking truth, and it makes me terrified. Because he is now becoming conscience, conscious of a living God. See, up to this point, he's thought, I'm in charge here. I've got all the power. Paul's saying, I want, I'd hate to break it to you, buddy, but you don't have all the power here. You're standing as a judge over me, but I want you to know that there is a judge over you. That's not the emperor. It's not your supervisor. It's the God who made heaven and earth. And he begins to talk about righteousness. See, when you talk about righteousness, you're not talking about my level of righteousness. Human beings, we grade on a curve, right? If you, if, you, if you came up in a class where you just sat next to stupid people, you thought you were doing great, you know, thank God I may be dumb, but I'm not dumb like them, right? Anybody else feel like that? You're just like, I'm not as dumb, right? We grade on a curve. We say, well, I'm doing better. We, we make our righteousness on a curve, yeah. At least I don't do that. That's what the Pharisees said. Remember Jesus talked about that Pharisee? He said, and praying to himself, which is probably a problem. If you're praying to yourself, I guarantee your prayers are not being heard. (laughs) Right? His prayer was more about puffing himself up. He he was trying to pray to God, but it wasn't hitting the, the ears of God. It says, praying to himself, he said, Lord, I thank you that I am not like that guy. Thank God I'm not like that guy. The other man beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Starts to tear his clothes. That's how distressed he is, aware of his own state of need. And yet he dares to ask God for mercy when he knows he doesn't deserve it. Jesus says, which one of these men walks away justified? I tell you, it's the man who humbled himself before God. He went away justified. In fact, that's the first time in the New Testament that justification is talked about. Justification by faith. So, Felix is now aware there's a God. No, he's, he's grown up believing there's lots of gods. But he, he's not grown up believing he's ever going to have to face their judgment. He, if he, he believes if you tick them off right now, they might do something, Right? If I, t- if I tick the God of the sea off, he might cause my ship to crash. Or if I, if I tick the, the God of, of lightning off, I might have a storm that lights my roof on fire. But he, he's, not, he, he's not really aware that there's only one true God and that that God is perfect and righteous. You've got you've to deal with him at the end of all this. So as Paul is talking about righteousness, now he's aware not of my righteousness, not of your righteousness, but of God's his level of righteousness, the plumb line that shows what's straight. He knows he doesn't measure up to it. Then Paul talks to him about self-control. How did that come up? I imagine it came up because, listen, Felix is a guy who, who is in a position that's, that's a lot like us in North America here. If we crave something, we go get it. Now, I know not everybody in the room, is that, that's your experience, but we live in a very affluent society where you don't deny yourself a whole lot of anything, right? Now, when you came to the Lord, you learned, I don't have to just do what I feel like doing. I can, I can control that. The, by the Spirit of God, I can put to death the deeds of the flesh. I can murder that part of me that wants to do bad by the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, I can say, no, you're not going to do that anymore. 
I know murder sounds like a tough word, but that's, that's how the, the New Testament talks about it. It says you, you will put to death, you will execute those, that, 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 that side of you that used to blow up at your kids, that side of you that used to, that used to steal money from the cash register. There's something that, that, that you couldn't control, that side of you that, that looked at pornography every chance you had, that side of you that couldn't stop eating or couldn't stop drinking or whatever. Now you put that to death. Not by your willpower, because that failed you every single time you tried it. Not by another program, but by the Spirit of God. Amen. I'm not against programs. I think God uses them. But, but you can't do it without the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that truly puts it to death. And so Felix says, whatever I want to do, I do. I saw a woman I liked, and I took her. I saw power, and I took it. I saw people defy me, and I killed them. For him... He does what he wants, he eats what he wants, he drinks what he wants. And now he's aware of a righteousness that's not his, and he's aware of a level of a standard that's not his, and it freaks him out, and he goes, but I can't help it. And Paul says, yeah, you can. I'm going to tell you about self-control, and it's not a fruit of your will, it is a fruit of the Spirit. He begins to talk about self-control. This man's realizing, number one, God has a standard. Number two, I didn't reach it. And number three, I can't say I couldn't help myself because I can. So you were born with a conscience that God gave you. Conscience comes from the word to know. It means that you know what's good and you know what's wrong. Every single one of us has that somewhere in us. We know this is wrong. We know this is good. Now, you might say, well, that's, that's not true because I think this is wrong, but this other person doesn't think it is. Well, that's because the Bible tells us that over time, people have seared their conscience. To sear your conscience. Has anybody ever had a, a, had a severe burn? You ever burned a finger, burned a, you know, have, have a scar, a burn scar on you? What happens? Oh, yeah, yeah. The people that run a restaurant. You guys have burns? <laughs> Couldn't have guessed. <laughs> when you have burns... If it's bad enough, what happens is, praise the Lord. If it's bad enough, we sing a triumphant song. If it's bad enough, you lose sensitivity in those areas, right? You can feel pressure, but it's not sensitive like it used to be. Your conscience, God created man and woman with the idea, with the knowledge of him. Now, it wasn't until they ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from that they really knew evil. But they did no good. And there's a part of you as a, as a human being, even before you knew Jesus, that knows, I, sh I shouldn't do that, right? You, you knew that you don't go and punch babies. I don't do that. No, that's wrong. You know, you knew stealing was wrong. But, right, if you steal enough, what, you justify it, right? If you do enough stealing, then you start to say it's not that bad. Victimless crime, insurance will pay for it. I'm just robbing the man, big companies. That, that retail worker doesn't, doesn't have to pay for this. Don't worry about it. You begin to convince yourself that what you're doing is right, right? Because your conscience has become seared. The first time you do it, it hurts. Next time you do it, it hurts a little less. Until you no longer feel it's wrong. You are searing your conscience. Something happened when we got born again. And our minds got renewed by the word of the Lord. We, 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 we received a new, pure, clean conscience. 
God woke up our conscience again. In fact, you know, the Bible talks about be excellent in what is good, be innocent of evil. He restored innocence to us. Isn't that amazing? No matter what's been done to you, and I know you may, you may, you may say, you're wrong, Pastor, about this. I can't forget what's been done. I can't undo it. I'm not saying you can, but what I am telling you is God can restore innocence to you where you are not walking around broken in, in, in such a way that you can't be used by God. You are walking around a, a, an instrument, a, a, an example, a living example of the great glory and grace of God where he has pieced you back together. And like that Japanese artwork where the cracks are filled with gold, where you used to be broken, it's even more beautiful than it ever was because it's the evidence of God's work in your life of him healing you. And your conscience is healed. Your sensitivity comes back. And all of a sudden, what you used to think was fine is not fine anymore because now you know that's not what God wants. And what you used to think was boring is now exciting. And what you used to think was, was dead is now alive because God's waking you up again. And I want to tell you that's what happens when you're born again. It's what happens when you're baptized. The Bible says that baptism is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. When you are baptized, you are appealing to God for a clean conscience. You're saying, I don't want to go back and live that old way anymore. I want to live this new way. So he says, a baptism is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. The book of Hebrews says that what the blood of animals in the Old Testament could not do, he said, because the worshipers would never become perfect in conscience. Every year they'd remember, I'm still full of sin. And this offering that the priest is offering merely covers my sin like, like a candle covers a bad smell, but it's still there. But he says now through the perfect blood of Jesus, he can make the worshiper perfect in conscience, give you a clean conscience. So what happens when you have a clean conscience? You're aware of righteousness. You know what's right. You know God's. You know you're aware of him. And when you're aware of God, you're aware of his righteousness, you're aware of the way you're meant to live. And now, what I used to feel fine doing, I don't feel fine anymore. Why? Because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I can't rip somebody off and feel okay about it. I can't embezzle money and feel okay about it. I, I, can't, I can't abuse somebody and feel okay about it. I, I can't lie and feel okay about it. I can't, I can't uh, engage in things that I used to think were fine. I can't do that anymore. Why? Because now I'm aware of who I am. When I know I'm a human, I can't live like a dog anymore. I'm, I'm a new creation. Now, that happens when you're saved. It happens when you're baptized. It happens every time you're letting your mind be renewed by the word. But it also happened to Felix here when he wasn't saved. Something happened. He got a glimpse of God's righteousness. And the spirit of God, the anointing of God, woke up his conscience. And it freaked him out. And he was alarmed. And he said, I don't want to see you anymore. Go away. See, whenever you hear the alarm, you got an option. Do I wake up or do I hit the snooze button? Anytime God sounds the alarm, you've got an option. Now, alarms are not pleasant, are they? Anybody love the sound of your alarm? Now, maybe you have one of those new age, you know, beautiful sounds that wakes you up and you feel like Snow White with all the animals crawling on you. <laughs> My dad said something. He said, he said, I don't want an alarm that sounds good, that plays a song that I like. He said, I want an alarm that makes me angry because I want to wake up. I don't want to be lulled back to sleep. How many of you like this sound? Let's see if I can play it. 
Oh, no, don't, don't be nervous. You like that song? Right, every iPhone user just shrunk back in their chair and <laughs> has a little anger rise up in you. Do you ever feel a little bit like... Yeah, happy anniversary, honey. You know why I like that sound? I don't like that sound. Actually, when I hear it on a TV show or something, I'm like, stop that. Make a fake sound. But I like this because it actually wakes me up. I've tried other things. They don't wake me up. <laughs> They're just like, this is pleasant. I, I dream about a beautiful symphony or something. This wakes me up. You ever have those fire alarms that, that keep going and you're like, what's wrong with you? I pressed the button. didn't work. I took a battery. How are you still going? I took a battery out. How is it doing this? You throw it, like, you throw it against the wall or whatever. But why? Why is the fire alarm so annoying? Why is the smoke alarm so annoying? Because it, it can save your life. Because when the smoke alarm goes off, if it's not faulty, when it goes off, it's not supposed to remind you that life is beautiful. It's meant to say you're in danger. Felix is, is, is going to, I mean, listen, let me tell you, I've read this over and over again. I, I, I've delighted in the book of Psalms and, and all these things. The, the Bible is full of joy and full of delight. Yeah. If you don't read this word and figure out you're supposed to enjoy the Lord and delight in his word and in his presence, then I think you're missing a whole lot. But there are times when you're in danger and it's time to wake up. See, if Felix would wake up, he'd find the delight of the Lord. He'd find the joy of his salvation. He'd find what it's like to be washed clean. Yeah. But he's dying right now. Yeah. When you're dying, Doc, don't lie to me. Doc, don't tell me everything's okay. Doc, tell me the truth. If I'm dying, I want to know. Don't, don't fluff it up. Don't, don't coat it in silk. Tell me the truth so I know how to pray. Tell me the truth so I know what to do. At this moment, there's an alarm going off. There's an alarm going off that Felix is not wanting to hear because think about it, everything rides on this. Jesus told us it's hard for the rich young ruler and others like him to enter the kingdom of God. It's not impossible because he says it's impossible with men, but all things are possible with God. But why is it hard? Because the rich young ruler's got a lot to lose. It's not just that he's got money. It's not like us. We have a bunch of money in a bank account. We could just use our card. The man runs a major corporation, basically. He's a rich, young ruler. And if he gives up everything he has, he gives up everything he is. All these people that call him boss, all this land he owns. He's, Jesus is saying, I'm going to only be here for a little bit. You want to follow me? You have to give that up so you can follow me. I can't have you trying to do business from the road. I can't, I can't have you tied to two things. You need to devote this whole time to me. Because Jesus is only on the earth for three and a half, or he was on the earth for much longer than that, but he's only doing ministry for three and a half years. Those apostles had a short time. It's not the time to be saying, can I do a little bit of both? He's saying, no, you got to sell it. And he says, it's hard for guys like this because they're so tied to this. Felix is so tied to his job. He's so tied to his status. He's so tied to everything he's gained by evil that this, if I believe this, what am I going to have to give up? See, there were so many slaves that got born again in the early church because you know what? This was all good news to them. <laughs> They had nowhere to go but up. But for this guy at the top, what do I have to lose? 
Bible says that many Pharisees believed in Jesus but refused to confess him because they were afraid they'd lose their job. Fear of what we're going to lose. That's why the alarm needs to sound because you don't know how much you are losing right now. You stand to lose a lot more than you think. It's why, the, it's why that man who found a treasure in a field sold everything he had to get the treasure because the treasure was worth more than anything he had. And the treasure of knowing Jesus is so much more than anything the world can offer me. Felix is alarmed. I wonder if you felt alarmed before. Some of you I've talked to, first time you came in a church service and felt the anointing of the Spirit, felt the power of God. Some of you broke down and cried. Some of you got angry and left. You're all here now. Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't really care how God does it as long as he does it. But I know some people just get up. I've had multiple people say, I just got up, I was mad. I didn't even know why. I just got, I was mad. Why? Because there is a conflict within you and you don't like that. I don't like that. But I got to do something about it because God never just leaves you where you are. He, he calls a response. He says, hey, come here. I love you. Come here. I've died for you. Come here. You're my child. I welcome home. And yet you know that mm, I'm going to have to give up the old self if this is the case. I, the, the, this is, if this is true, I've got to admit I haven't been going the right way. I've got to admit I'm wrong. I've got to admit I told my kids the wrong thing. I've got to admit my grandma was wrong. You know, you, you have these conflicts. Sometimes we, we hit the snooze button on the alarm, don't we? Even as believers. Sometimes as believers we're like Paul and we notice that somebody gets alarmed and we're like, whoa, whoa no, no, it's okay. <laughs> we love you, God loves you, Jesus loves you. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. We want to soften it, right? Listen, I want, to, I want you to notice that Paul did not try to freak Felix out in the flesh. I've, I've seen so many believers that try to substitute the anointing with their own emotion. Right? I want you to be afraid, so I'm going to scare you. You don't need to do that. I've seen people try to cast out evil spirits just by yelling a lot and stomping and making noise. You're trying to do by the flesh what needs to be done by the spirit. I've seen people try to get the church worked up by being angry. Listen, anger is a, is a nice little fake chemical substitute for the anointing, but it never does what the anointing does. In fact, the Bible says the wrath of man will never achieve the righteousness of God. But you get people fired up, and anger is a powerful enough emotion and a good enough release valve for fear that you feel like it's the anointing for a little bit, but there's no power in it. So Paul didn't try to freak Felix out. Do you, do you notice how he talks to Felix? He's not freaking him out. He's not doing a, a giant play to scare the guy. He just preaches Christ. Remember what it, what does it say he talked, before it said judgment or righteousness, self-control, and judgment, what did it say? He preached about faith in Christ. See, he didn't start talking about righteousness, self-control, and judgment until he laid a foundation of faith in Christ. Then he gave it context and he gave it richness. And he said, here's why this is such a beautiful thing. Here's why the gospel is so good. Let me tell you why it's so good. Because, yeah, God has every right to be mad at you. He has every right to be mad at me. But Jesus did something that changed everything. And your righteousness falls short. And you have no self-control in and of yourself. And God's not going to say, well, you couldn't help it. You're just, uh, you're just out of control. He's going to hold you accountable for your life. And there's a coming judgment. Well, let me tell you the good news. And it goes back to faith in Christ. If you would put your faith in Christ. He did what you could not do. 
He became your sacrifice. He became your Savior. And through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, you can become a new creation. And you can have confidence on that day of judgment because as he is, so are you in this world. But instead of receiving that, Felix is too freaked out. Leave me. I wonder how many times we share the gospel with someone and we notice, I was real kind about it. I was real loving about it. Why is this person so freaked out? Why are they so mad? Why are they so bothered? It's because the Holy Spirit's working. And there's a conflict in them. There's a war in us. There's a fight for our very soul. And and the Lord loves you enough to fight for you. But in order to come to him, I've got to become born again. I've got to become like a baby again. I can't come and, and leave my guns in the holsters. I've got to lay them down at the counter and walk in without anything to protect myself in his gaze. I, I've got to say I'm, I'm open before you. I'm naked and unashamed. I'm, I, I know you see me, and I can't believe you love me, but you say you do, so here I am. It's a terrifying thought, but it's a beautiful thought. When you embrace, God knows you fully and you are laid open before him and he still wants you. And he still is going to forgive you. You've never known love like that. His eyes are like fire and I think when you're resisting him, that fire is terrifying. But when you embrace him, that fire is the most pure love you've ever seen in your life. It burns away your insecurity, it burns away your pride, it burns away your self-doubt, and it burns away your own self-righteousness. Till all that's left is I'm a child of God. See, I pray that if you're here and there's a conflict within your own soul, you don't fight God. But I know every one of us has wrestled God at some point. God's not afraid to wrestle with you. Not afraid to wrestle with you. He's not offended. But just don't say no. Don't run away. Don't hit the snooze button. You don't know how many snooze buttons you have. You don't know how many times you have. If God is sounding the alarm, the louder it gets, the more urgent it is. One of my mentors said to a group of us young, when we were just starting out in ministry, there was a group of us gathered in a cabin in Missouri, and uh, some of them were yet to start churches, some of them had already started churches. Actually, from that meeting, I think five or six churches were were started just out of those young guys in one cabin. But he said to us, he said, you know, a lot of people want to hear God's audible voice. They want to hear God audibly, right? I want to hear you with my physical ears. He said, most of the time when you hear God's audible voice, it's because it's like your kid that's been playing in the road and hasn't listened the first five times you've talked to them. He said, if God's having to use the audible voice with you, it's probably because you've ignored him a whole bunch. Don't make him use the audible voice. He gave you a spirit that you can hear. Now, listen, if you had a wonderful experience and God spoke to you, and I'm not trying to ruin that for you right now. I'm not like, well, pastor just said that was bad. No, it's not always. But don't wait. Don't wait. Don't say, God, give me another sign. God gave you a sign. Listen, if you're the, if you're the preacher, because you all are, right? We're all, the, we're all the receiver and the preacher. If you're the preacher and you're sharing the love of God with somebody, you're sharing the gospel, it's good news, right? It's good. But you're shocked that somebody is shocked, and you're alarmed that they're alarmed, and you're kind of afraid that they're afraid. And you go, oh, I need to soften this. I want to I wanna, I wanna just caution you to just trust the Holy Spirit. It's just the Holy Spirit. Lord, Lord said to me one time, I, you know, felt it was a word of correction. 
don't use six words when I gave you five words. Because when you, when you speak to somebody, if, if there's a prophetic word or a word, whatever the Lord gave you for somebody, you, you, you give it, and if it seems incomplete or harsh or they took it weird, your instinct is to try to, like, fix it. And what the Lord says is, it's not about you. It's not about what you said. It's about what I'm saying. Let me work on this. I, I said these words for a reason. Some of, some of the things that have changed my life is when someone spoke a word from the Lord for me, and they said words that only I had said to God. And they usually end it with this. I don't know how many times somebody said to me, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I don't know why I'm saying it this way. I don't know why I'm saying this word. It makes no sense to me. Does that make any sense to you? I'm like, yeah, it does. Other times I'm like, no, it doesn't. It makes no sense, but I'm going to pray about it. And then God illuminates it. So I want to say this. Whether you're Felix or Paul, don't fight alarms. Because what happens is one of the most beautiful things about the gospel and what about one of the wonderful things about the presence of the Holy Spirit is you are now awakened to the knowledge of God. Like, that, there's a reason, there's a reason you walk in a church. Remember 1 Corinthians 14 says that one of the things that's supposed to happen when an unbeliever comes into a, a place where people are worshiping God and the power of the Holy Spirit is they're gonna fall on their face and repent and say the Lord is in this place. That's what I want in our church is I want people to walk in and go, God's here. I didn't even know there was a God. I wasn't even sure he was real. But this is something else. And I, I want you to walk around with such the presence of God on your life, such a holy life, such a life set apart for the king, that when people are in your presence, they're aware of God. Paul doesn't have the keyboard player playing a nice song in the background. He doesn't have a bunch of believers that are like, amen, Paul, keep preaching. He's got a bunch of people who are, hate him and want to see him in jail. A lot of times we limit. We go, well, God, there, there can't be any atmosphere for the presence of God. Sure there was. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you cherish the presence of God so much that when you're at work, people go, I'm in the presence of holiness. Like, I'm in the presence of a holy God. What, what's different about you right now? Friend, there's nothing about me but something about my Lord, something about my Savior. Let me tell you about him. That's why you need to pray. That's why you need to, to, to let God lead you. That's why you need to, to say, my life is not my own. That's why I need to be holy as he is holy. Why? I, I can't do that on my own. My goodness, I, I, I keep failing at that. But the blood of Jesus makes me holy. And when I know better, I do better. Because it's God that's work within me both to will and to do his good work. I'm working out the salvation he gave to me. Now it's coming out of my pores. It's coming out of my life. And, and all I got to say is, like Paul, I've taken great pains. It means I had to put effort into it to live with a good conscience. Because he had that good conscience, because he kept himself as a servant of the Lord, and he says, I'm here to do your work, and I'm going to make sure I don't, I don't mess that up with my, own, with my own things that I feel are, are more important. Because Paul said, my life is his. When he gets in the presence of an evil man, he doesn't become evil. The evil man senses the presence of holiness. See, so many times when Christians get in the presence of evil, they send evil back. You hate me? I hate you too. You're pulling dirty tricks. We'll pull your dirty tricks too. We know how to play that game. Instead, what if a holy man or woman of God walk in? Do you guys remember the story of a revivalist in New York, 1800s? Walked in to a place. It was a they were making clothes, whatever you call that. A factory that they made clothes. 
and there's seamstresses at all these stations. This preacher had been doing revivals in the area, but he had come to a new town, was about to, to, to do some evangelistic meetings in this area. Whole, whole upstate New York was set afire by this dude. He walks into this factory where these women are sewing, and the minute he walks in, this one woman just begins to weep. She begins to weep and repent before the Lord. She doesn't even know who this guy is, but he walked in the room with the presence of God. And all of a sudden, she was aware of a holy God. I mean, it broke something. Don't you know God does that? God doesn't break things because he hates things. God breaks things to heal things. God breaks things to reset them. God breaks things to make them right. And so when your heart is broken before the Lord, it's so that he can restore it. That woman's heart, just before the Lord, she just broke down. Man, she put herself in a position to be blessed by the Lord. Because repentance is a joyous thing. Jesus told three parables in a row all about how we throw a party when people repent. It's a joyous thing. Sometimes little crying has to come before a little laughing, right? You know? So I just want you to say, when the Lord is working on your heart, don't, don't say no. Don't put the snooze button. Don't say, I don't like to be alarmed. I don't like to feel like something's wrong. I like to feel like everything's good. I had somebody say to me, Lord, Lord would never say something that would make me feel bad. What? You know, the Bible says no discipline. He says he, the book of Hebrews says he disciplines because he loves us. And no discipline feels good at the moment. It says no discipline feels good at the more, moment. And that word discipline is some of the same word that we use for, like, training for, for the Olympics. Paul uses that language a lot, like an athlete training or a soldier training. He said oh, discipline doesn't feel good at the moment, but afterwards... It yields the good fruit of righteousness, right? I mean, that first time you start working out, it does not feel nice. Twelve years ago, do you know how much I worked out before our wedding? <laughs> I overdid it. I would, I would like, I don't want to tell you too much, but like I would work out, go into the bathroom, throw up, come back, work out more. Because I wanted to be, I wanted to have beach body for my wife on, on our honeymoon. And yeah, it's lame, I know, Okay. <laughs> See, that's my wife. She, she loves me as I am. She thinks it's funny that I ever worked out for her. You didn't think I threw up? I don't know why I needed to tell you that, but I just wanted you to know. I had a goal. I had a goal, and it was willing to have some pain to get to the goal. Training doesn't feel good. Sometimes training, sometimes correction doesn't feel nice. Right? You don't like when someone tells you you did something wrong. You don't like when someone says, you can push it, you can go further than you've gone before. You ever have a coach say, you know what, I know you can run further. I know you can run faster. No, I can't. I'm giving everything. And yet somehow when they, when they run beside you and yell at you, you somehow find it in yourself to find another gear. <laughs> Why? Because you don't know what they know. And we don't know what the Lord knows, but I want to tell you, as I'm a believer, I have those alarms more and more in my life where the Lord is saying, that used to be okay, but I'm bringing you further now. I'm bringing you higher now. I'm bringing you deeper now. Uh, you're not who you used to be, and so I know you can get fat. I know there's more in you, so I'm going to train you like my son because you are my son. Don't turn off the alarm in you or anybody else. 
Don't try to make it happen. Listen, if you're going to the mall right now after, after church and you just want to tell somebody about Jesus, you're so fired up, but you're like, I want that. I want them to be freaked out. I'm going to be freaky. Don't do it. Because that's, that's all they'll get. That's all they'll get. It's just a big plate of freaky you. Not, none of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Your job is to, is to be a light. Your job is to preach the gospel. Your job is to tell the truth. Some of you are tempted to make the truth sound harsher so people respond different. Some of you are tempted to soften the truth so people don't get offended. Don't do either of those things. Just let the truth be the truth, the gospel be the gospel, the Lord be the Lord, the Spirit be the Spirit. Let him do what he does. Amen. Amen. Can we stand today?